Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, and welcome to another episode of A Sound Heart. I want to give thanks to God this morning for his wonderful grace. And uh, God has extended his salvation to us through Christ Jesus. And uh, Jesus is indeed the Savior. He is the only Savior. He is not one among many. He is the only Savior. He alone is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man cometh unto the Father except through Jesus. Now, there are some who would say, well, that's, that's your truth, Josiah. Uh, that's your subjectivism. That's your viewpoint. Thus, uh, they want to narrow and reduce what God has proclaimed in his word to a mere opinion. God never gave or gives an opinion. God is the God of truth. He, when God speaks, he speaks according to absolute reality. God speaks absolutes because he is the creator. And when God states that there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved, that is the ultimate, the final truth. Now, if you would read carefully Genesis 3, if you would read carefully the first section of the book of Job, read uh Genesis 3 and understand the subtle and effective way in which the enemy handled that situation in Genesis 3. Read about the adroit use and cunning use of language that is used in the book of Job on the part of the enemy. Now, when God speaks to our hearts, we have to understand that God is the God who, as to his nature, as to his essential being, cannot lie. In him is no darkness, no, not at all. So we have the confidence that when God speaks, he speaks the truth. Let us have a word of prayer, and then we'll begin our study for this morning. We do thank you, Father, for your word. Your word is a lamp to our feet and a light for our path. Your word, O Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. Your faithfulness continues throughout all generations. 
You establish the earth, and it endures. Your laws endure to this day, for all things serve you. We do thank you for this opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to be speaking from Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, chapter 44. And uh, I love this verse, uh, this chapter, because uh, God's people uh, had been under idolatry. And the Lord shows the absurdity of idols in this particular chapter and in other chapters in Isaiah as well. Um, in Hebrew thinking, uh, particularly here in Isaiah, the word idol literally means nothingness. Nothingness. And so the Lord uh, reduces to absurdity the, the thinking of idolaters. The Lord introduces and the Lord uh, uh, displays or publishes uh, the schizophrenic nature of idolatry. The Lord displays the irrationality of idolatry, of following after nothingness. The Bible emphatically states that we become what we behold. We become what we behold. Either we think that which stabilizes our lives, that which is found in the word of God stabilizes our lives according to the truth. If we walk according to or think idolatrous thoughts, we will become like that which we think about. And so idolatry, the, uh, the final reality is absurdity. So we're going to take a look at that uh, in, in Isaiah 44. But before we go there, I want to read to you from Psalm 119. I'm going to read, up, start from verse 129 of Psalm 119. Quote, your statutes are wonderful. Therefore, I obey them. The unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. I open my mouth and pant, longing for your commands. Turn to me and have mercy on me, as you always do to, to the, those who love your name. Direct my footsteps according to your word. Let no sin rule over me, literally have mastery over me. Idolatry means what? That the individual is engaged in sin. And it is through idolatry that sin comes in and does master the person. And here is a, is a believer who loves the word of God. 
And so I want to draw a contrast between the believer who loves the word of God and those who follow idolatry. Now, uh, in the end times, during the tribulation period, uh, and John states that those whose names are not written in the book of life will worship the beast. And uh, remember uh, what Revelation states. Uh, their names are not written in the Lamb's book of life. Uh, so these are the ones who will follow uh, the ultimate machination, the ultimate insult. Yeah, because the man of sin is the ultimate cosmic insult. He is the ultimate of absurdity. But he will appear, and those whose minds have been uh, given over and, and shaped by idolatry and who have become atheists in practice, these individuals who are part of the great of, of the falling away first that will happen at the end of the church age, these people. Uh, will go into that period that we call the tribulation period. And uh, they will under, and during that time, they will undergo judgment for their rejection of the good news of Jesus. People don't understand that they are culpable for their, their negligence toward the gospel. And, the book of Hebrews states that uh, these people who attempt uh, to trample underfoot the blood of the, the Son of God, the blood of the Lamb, they will pay for the rejection of God's grace offering. There is no, and they may have what benign contempt or benign uh, rejection, but using the understanding that, well, I'm being benign or indifferent to the gospel means that you have already made a decision to reject grace. And the gospel demands belief. There's no yay or nay. The gospel demands belief. It is God's good news. Idolatrous thinking leads people to conclude, well, uh, I can either take Jesus or I can reject Jesus, which is true. And it is, and you see that now the, the will of the individual, the attitude and, uh, and the will have formed this uh, this callous rejection of the good news of Jesus. So now the volition is hardened, the will is hardened in the way of rejection. So, and what you're going to see uh, in the life of that individual is a spiraling. They, they become out of control because they have, now they're in a settled uh, condition of rejection. And the Bible says that God, because they have rejected the truth, 
God will send them a strong delusion that they should believe the lie of the Antichrist. The, the Antichrist will be part of their judgment. And then at the great white throne, uh, God will set from whose uh, face heaven and earth fled away, and there they will receive their sentences. Uh, the sentences of eternal ruin. The sentences of eternal ruin have uh, inherent degrees of punishment. All will be punished, but there are degrees uh, of punishment that will be meted out at the great white throne judgment. Every individual. Now, notice the language uh, those who stand before that great white throne judgment are not referred to by any personal pronouns. They're only referred to uh, in adjectives, small and great. And uh, so there is this, this anonymity that's in the text, but God knows each name that has been blotted out of the book of life of the Lamb. Listen, this is a serious. Uh, and people need to understand what is going on. Uh, direct my footsteps according to your word. Let no sin rule over me. Redeem me from the oppression of men. And uh, the word in Hebrew uh, for men is Adam. Redeem me from the oppression, the extortion, uh, and the injury of Adam. Notice how uh, the psalmist uh, understands the reality of the cosmic system and what sin does. Redeem me. And uh, and he says, that I may obey your precepts. That word precepts means directions. That I may obey your directions. That is, keep God and guard. That is, keep watch. Uh, we are told to guard our hearts with all diligence for for. From it flows the issues of life. You are to guard your hearts because we're in the devil's world. Now, we're to guard our hearts behind what? Behind the armor of God. Notice how dangerous this environment is. We're to guard our hearts with all diligence, and we're to put on the substantial armor of God that we might be able to stand in the evil day. Now, we're to put on the helmet of salvation because this protects us from the fiery arrows of the wicked one. We know that there is a very intimate connection between the, the mind, the brain, and the heart. Now, the heart is not merely a pump. 
we know that we say that the brain is control uh, is composed of, of neurons or neurological tissue. Well, the heart also has neurological tissue, and every cell in the body has neurological tissue. So there is this intimate connection that scientists uh, have found out that goes on this this talk this this quiet language uh, that goes on between the uh, the heart and the brain with regard to our well-being. And I, I told you before about the scientist uh, who has noted the correlation between deep spirituality and our physical health. He has substantively proven that those who have a real spiritual life live longer than those who do not. Those who have a real relationship with God have significantly less heart disease than those who do not. There's also some research in cancer to substantiate this as well. Why am I bringing this up? Look, it's important to understand that the word stabilizes our lives. In Jesus, we have eternal life. The reality of that life should be evident in your walk, in your talk, in your actions. That is by, your, uh, by the fruit that happens in your lives and my life through the power of the Spirit. By their fruits, you shall know them. By their fruit, you shall know them. The fruit of the Spirit. We're to be filled with the Spirit. We're to walk in the Spirit. Now, the believer who is following God's Word uh, understands what this means and that if you truly become devoted to a spiritual life, you will have a life of superabundance, as promised by Jesus. Now, Isaiah, uh, in this wonderful chapter, speaks to Israel that is God's chosen ones. And so I'm going to be reading at verse 1, Isaiah 44.1. But listen now, O Jacob, my servant, Israel, whom I have chosen. This is what the Lord says. He who made you, who formed you in the womb, and who will help you. Do not be afraid, O Jacob, my servant, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessings on your descendants. Isn't that language wonderful? They will spring up like grass in a meadow and poplar trees by flowing streams. Remember Psalm 1? One day, one will say, I belong to the Lord. Another will call himself by the name Jacob or Jacob. Still another will write on his hand, the Lord. I love that. And will take the name 
Israel. This is what the Lord says, Israel's king and redeemer, the Lord Almighty. Now, God has all these names in verse 6, and all the names that are revealed in the Old Testament are relational. Uh, That is, the names that God uh, shows with regard to himself in the Old Testament reveals his character, reveals his attitude toward his people. He is Israel's king, yes. He is the redeemer. Uh, He, uh, the one who purchased them out of the land of double distresses, that is Egypt. And you may be in Egypt now in your heart or in your mind. You may be in Egypt. You may be in double distresses. Uh, But God is here to redeem you. He is here to bring redemption into your life. I know it's real. I know that he is a God who speaks truth. But you have to agree to stop fighting him. You have to understand that when God sends situations into your life, it is he, he is speaking to you and telling you that I am releasing you from something that would have ruined you or, or made you miserable all of your life. That's not God's work for you or deliverance out of a situation uh, that had enslaved you. He is the deliverer. He is the redeemer. He is the Lord Almighty. I am the first and I am the last. Remember Revelation 1? And so uh, he goes on, apart from me, there is no God. When you have a real relationship with God, you know this to be true. Apart from me, there is no God. You know this. Because God speaks to you. He talks to you. This is what fellowship means, to have joint things in common with God. Who then is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and lay out before me what has happened since I established my ancient people. Now God moves in to speak, and he speaks about prophecy. Uh, Do not tremble. Do not be afraid. Did I not proclaim this and foretell it long ago? You are my witnesses. Is there any God besides me? Now, listen to that language. You are my witnesses. Why does God say that? What has his people witnessed? Well, we go back to the book of Egypt, the book of Exodus, and what God did for his people in Egypt. Notice, they were first-person witnesses of his deliverance. They saw his mighty works. They witnessed the power of God. And there's an interesting uh, caveat 
attached to that in that they saw what God did for them to the enemy. And I'm telling you, Egypt was filled with twisted and perverted, idolatrous uh, God. It was incredible. Uh, if you would read some things about, uh, about Egyptian history and the way these people lived and, and what they worshipped, uh, it, was, it was just absurd. But this is, what, this is how they lived, and God's people uh, lived within this environment. It was, and so God brought his people out, and uh, he gave them uh, a wonderful life. Uh, there was in, in Egypt, there was, there was the goddess uh, Hika, and this was an ugly, frog-headed goddess. And so God brought judgment upon Egypt with frogs. Everything he did was an attack on what they worshiped uh, and what they looked to other than God. And so, you know, God brought in uh, a plague of darkness. And so Yahweh uh, defeated the sun god, Ra. Uh, and he showed himself powerful over uh, the gods of Egypt. So, and, uh, and so in Exodus 10:2, what we have uh, is the mockery of Egypt's gods on the hand of God, uh, by by Yahweh Elohim. And so, I kind of uh, smile when I watch uh, some of the things that believers say they believe in and why they do, and they, they want to be walking defiance of God, and it will never, never work. In Exodus chapter 7, uh, verse 8, we read, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, When Pharaoh says to you, perform a miracle, then say to Aaron, Take your staff and throw it down before Pharaoh, and it will become a snake. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron threw down his, his staff down in front of Pharaoh and his officials, and it became a snake. Pharaoh then summoned wise men and sorcerers and the Egyptian magicians also uh, did the same thing by their secret arts. Magic is real. Each one threw down his staff and it became a snake. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staff. Yet Pharaoh's heart became hard and he would not listen to them just as the Lord had said. The Lord uh, judged the river, Nile. The river was sacred. And the, riv uh, the river god in Egypt was the god Osiris. And Osiris had the all-seeing eye. Look on the American, or I should say the United States fiat dollar, and you will see the all-seeing eye of Osiris. God does not lie. The idolatrous images 
that are in Washington, D.C., the, like the Salic Washington Monument, are all idolatrous symbols scattered throughout that area, 10 square, 10 square miles to uh, gods that are other than Yahweh Elohim. God never loses. No matter how man attempts to defy him, the Lord will never lose. And so Isaiah uh, states in verse 8, Do not tremble, do not be afraid. Did I not proclaim this and foretell it long ago? You are my witnesses. There is there any God besides me? No, there is no other rock. I know not one. And so for you and I, this verse would be wonderful to memorize so that we remember there is no other rock. I know not one. Who has led you? Who has protected you? And remember, he was that rock, Jesus, who followed his people in the wilderness. He is always there for us. He is our rock. And we find comfort and we find shade under a great rock in a weary land. That's our Jesus. Please remember that this day. God bless you.